starting. Eighteen. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's something. But but I I don't think the stream has started yet. I mean. Live now. Is it? I can't play it. Anyway. I mean. Live now. Is it? I can't play. It. I I. It's working for you. I think it should start. Okay, I did start. Okay. Okay, I did start. Cool. So, do we wait for a few more people? Yeah. Or we sixteen a good number. We can start. We can we can start with introduction and what not and what the say club is etc etc. I don't mind. Cool. Go ahead. Okay. uh so the theory club is something which was started last year uh, at javiers uh, most of the events are done at the wellness center and uh, we plan to break down uh, academic theories and ideas and uh, so that people can you know have access to them beyond the classroom and try to implement them to other aspects of the life and approach it from a more non boring standpoint so that's what the theory club does uh, this uh, this part of the theory club this session is usually called a dummies guide if we have someone who might know something about an idea uh, they talk for a while they explain what that idea is uh, uh, and then uh, people can ask questions and um, we 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 take those questions as they are uh, usually this is done in person uh, somewhere in on college we find a place we have that but now that we are in lockdown we can't do that so we have tried to uh, go live and do this on youtube so that people can still access it so that's the whole idea of dummies guide and uh, because we we did not have a lot of speakers online right now we just thought it might be a nice idea to expand on some ideas we might be interested in learning more about uh, so shannon volunteered uh, uh, to talk about nature and uh, that's what he's going to uh, do today uh, you can put your questions in the comments here uh, we will take them after uh, after we just uh, discuss something about nature and his ideas and i'll be mediating those questions and i'll be asking shannon now okay Uh, so we can start. Kishan, who the hell was for the teacher? How did Pranav get that? So, uh, Nietzsche is uh, a very popular figure in Hollywood, at least, and you see many people uh, citing his name, and uh, they think they are cool because they are uh, taking one of his quotes and just putting it randomly. So they have they pronounce it horribly first. L- let me state that very clearly. Uh, mm-hmm. Some call him Nietzsche, some call him Nietzsche, some call him Nietzsche. But the actual way of pronouncing it is something like Ni and Cha. So it's like your Ni and the Hindi word for chai, like uh, for tea, chai. Mm-hmm. So Cha, like that. That's the uh, mm-hmm. better way of pronouncing it. That's the um, more uh, accepted way of pronouncing it among scholars. Okay. So that's how you go. Okay. Okay. So it's like Nietzsche, but. Uh... Ha! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. That's all it is. <laughs> good, good. All right. So tell us more about him. Well, uh, he is a lot of things. Firstly, he is a philosopher. He is a philologist, and he is also a critic. And uh, he uh, a critic. Sorry. He also calls himself a psychologist. Uh, although he does not have a degree per se in psychology, uh, 
so philology is uh, something that might be new to people they, they i mean the other words you might understand philosophy critic uh, psychologist it's something that you deal with on a daily basis philology is something that uh, isn't so well known so uh, philology is today it is the study of the structure of language but uh, okay. that's not what he is uh, a philologist so okay. uh, that's a different word he ha- uh, for him over there because what he okay. is the philologist is a person who studies classical literature and classical antiquities for that's exactly why you will see a lot of uh, uh, greek tragedy and uh, uh, other myths into his uh, books in fact his first book birth of tragedy has uh, is solely based on uh, greek tragedy of uh, uh apollo and dionysus dionysus it's, it's a difficult word mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. so that's what philology is all right all right uh so when did he live what is his life story or should we just go into his works right away oh no no it's so, quite so important or should we just uh go pick by piece i i didn't get that should we just go death of the author approach with nietzsche and just you know talk about his ideas or do you want to relate his ideas to his life uh i think we will relate his ideas to his life because it gets a, gives a better context okay uh, sure, sure. so nietzsche was born somewhere around 1844 and uh, okay uh, he was quite a brilliant kid in fact he, uh, he was a son of a pastor lutheran pastor and he wanted uh, to become a pastor himself but uh, eventually he dropped out of uh, seminary he was learning theology but then he didn't find it uh, appealing anymore so he left it and uh, he worked as a professor he was uh, in fact he is still today one of the youngest uh, professors on record he was 24 when he uh, became a tenured professor usually people don't become a professor when they are 24 uh, so he he has that record of uh, one of the youngest people to uh, teach and uh, that's when he started gaining his fame as uh, a philosopher with his publication of uh, the birth of tragedy but uh, a lot of people didn't agree with him uh, the birth of tragedy was his uh, was somewhat like his doctoral thesis and it was on uh, the whole title of the book is the birth of tragedy uh, and the spirit of music or on the spirit of music and he's exploring uh, greek tragedy and uh, music and he was in love with uh, uh, richard wagner who was a musician back then was very famous mm-hmm. it's almost as if he was a mm-hmm. fan girl or something of wagner uh mm-hmm. he wasn't uh quite popular in his later years uh he was living on a very small pension from his uh, uh university where he was teaching since he retired after a while and uh, his health started deteriorating a lot and uh, some expected to be a, a form of syphilis that uh, caused him to uh descend into that madness and you know he had uh, delusions of grandeur and uh, a lot of other symptoms that uh, made it difficult for him to uh live and uh, live a normal life he uh, never found uh, someone who he could spend his life with like he didn't find love there was only one woman who he did love but uh, she did not uh, uh, accept his proposal she rejected him and uh, he was uh, abused by his sister i don't uh, as in uh, she would she wouldn't let him live his life the way he wanted to and uh, okay. she was a nazi she and her husband and they had mm-hmm. uh, anti semitic uh, views and uh, in fact uh, she added her, her own biases and edited his works after his death uh, okay uh, so that it would align with her uh, nazi views in fact she even uh, uh, called hitler to his museum 
and uh, she personally gave him his walking stick and uh, mm-hmm. nietzsche would have been appalled by this he would not have accepted it because uh, he did not stand uh, for uh, nazism and he uh, i think in one uh, section of his he calls it an aborted fetus he absolutely hates uh, nazi values and uh, uh, nietzsche is often associated with the idea might is right and that's because she added that uh, context uh, in the will to power that the book that she edited uh, so that it would align with her views so mm-hmm. that's his life story oh okay so uh, when did he survey he passed away uh, at the start of the 20th century sometime right yeah somewhere around there somewhere around oh, the okay. 19 uh, sorry uh yeah somewhere around the early 1900s 18 okay towards the end of the 18 1800s so his his sister it surpassed him uh, and then edited his works yeah quite okay. a lot all right all right all right uh, so she withheld mm-hmm. she withheld information that would go against her views from his writings mhm mhm yeah you were saying all right uh, so we we often associate like uh, nietzsche's work with being like kind of uh, very verbose poetic but very verbose and kind of hard to understand or like, get into so uh, how do we get into it and what are like the major ideas and how do we go ahead doing that uh so i see two questions here uh, firstly how you should read nietzsche and why you should read nietzsche uh i'll come back okay. to the first one later why you should read nietzsche okay. because he is not just some random philosopher who's written some certain stuff about certain stuff he's telling you how to live and his mm-hmm. views are radical i will agree and quite controversial but uh, he formed the foundation for uh, postmodern thought and uh, existentialism uh, which is crucial for uh, living a good life in fact it's uh, even used in uh, a lot of therapies uh, his uh, not his method but it's quite similar to what he was teaching Uh, what he was uh, promoting uh, in uh, for example rogerian principle uh, rogerian therapy uh, positive psychology mm-hmm. uh, it's a it comes under positive psychology uh, nietzsche mm-hmm. promoted uh, having a meaningful life uh, and uh, you see this idea as the key concept that is used in uh, uh, rogerian therapy so okay. the why you should read nietzsche is because it doesn't matter which field you're from uh, the sciences or the humanities whatever uh, business marketing mm-hmm. at the end of the day we are all humans and uh, we need to know how to live a life how to live our lives and that's where nietzsche comes in it's quite a brilliant man we should read his works and uh, how you should read nietzsche uh, i made the biggest mistake by starting into uh, starting reading his biggest uh, works his uh, heaviest works other uh, so don't just jump directly into nietzsche that's a very bad idea because if you're going unprepared into nietzsche's works you're not going to understand anything and uh, that's not the point of reading someone's works if you're not going to what's the point of it if you're not going to understand it so uh, mm-hmm. i would recommend starting with uh, introductory books of how to read uh, nature uh, i have two books are coming to my mind one is uh, uh, introducing nature a graphic novel the graphic novel series are brilliant uh, all their books are uh, either related to a particular concept like feminism cultural studies etc or a person uh like nature freud and all in fact i have one i have one by freud uh introducing yeah. freud it's a really nice work it has uh, it's in the comic form it's, mm-hmm. it's it's fun to read uh so mm-hmm. that's a good starting point for nature and uh 
Nietzsche, very short introduction, is also a great starting point. Uh, but those are books about Nietzsche. Say you want to read books written by Nietzsche. So in that case, you start with uh, Twilight of the Idols. Uh, <clears throat> that is one of his shorter books. And uh, he writes mostly in aphorisms. Aphorisms are basically like these short poetic verses, which are not which don't necessarily have to be connected to the aphorism before or after. And uh, he wrote Ladan mostly because of his uh, health condition. He could not write 20, uh, he could not write for more than 20 minutes. Uh, his health was quite bad when he was writing this. Uh, the Twilight of the Idols is a nice place to start because it's called uh, philosophizing with a hammer. Now, often when people hear that, they think of someone with a really huge hammer uh, smashing things. But that's not what Nietzsche wants to show. Uh, when he says philosophizing with a hammer, we should imagine him with a really tiny hammer and he has these idols that he's talking about and these idols would represent our false ideas uh, false ideas of God that people had at that point uh, the uh, period he lived in and he wants to gently tap on those idols with that small hammer to show how hollow these idols are so that is his whole point of why what he means by uh, philosophizing with a hammer uh, then I would suggest reading um, I think Beyond Good and Evil is a good uh, read after uh, Twilight of the Idols. I do have it. This is Beyond so Good and Evil. One of, one of these idols you mentioned. Okay, so let's yeah. take an example and let's break it down so that we can understand his philosophy and morality. Yeah, sure. give, give an example of one of his idols and or one of his uh, the one, the one approach to philosophy he took and then use a small hour to break down. You can use it as an example and understand uh, it. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, so take the example of uh, <coughs> otherworldliness. For example, uh, many people uh, believe that the world we live in isn't the real world and uh, there is another world that's waiting for us. And uh, that's what he uh, opposed quite a lot because uh, he wanted to show that we are creating a false world in doing so. That our reality, we turn it into a false world in hopes of a better future on the front. Uh, after this world okay. and uh, okay. he, he despises that idea because it's mainly like uh, uh, counting how many mangoes you're going to eat in heaven while not seeding any plants on earth so he despises okay. the idea of the worldliness and that's like an idol he taps to show that it's not a very logical idea so is this uh, the other worldliness like is it magical realism you're talking about or is it like afterlife or something no the latter yeah the latter okay okay all right all right. Okay. So, uh, how does he approach it? Does he like, uh, does he like espouse like, uh, some objective material reality or how does he go on argue? How does he argue? Well, uh, he does not, he, he's quite, uh, he agrees with Kant when he says that, uh, there is a reality, objective reality that we live in and what we are, uh, experiencing is a subjective, uh, interpretation of that reality. Uh, this is a famous branch okay. called as phenomenology. That is, uh, there's mm -hmm. a particular object like this pen. Uh, it exists in the mm -hmm. real world and but I might have a subjective uh, experience of this pen and that's how we uh, mm -hmm. deal with the reality and that's what he did believe in that because uh, uh, he would not discard that. He's found that logical but he found it completely logical to say that uh, uh, the world we're living in is completely uh, false and there's a better world waiting for us after this one. Mm -hmm. Alright, alright. Uh, so, uh, he has this uh, very famous and popular, uh, well, approach to morality called the master and slave morality. I was reading up about it 
in preparation for this so can you expand on it because uh, it is not uh, how we usually interpret the idea of uh, being a master or being a slave so what does nietzsche mean when he says that there are usually two classes and or categories of moralities one of them is a master morality the other one is a slave morality how does he proceed with that so uh, nietzsche tries to uh, nietzsche encourages us to be uh, someone uh, who looks at the genealogy of morality that is the uh, past of morality and the different forms of morality that have been there so he looks at uh, say morality before that has been there and he tries to find uh, the reason behind it so the one famous reason that one one reason that he looks at is uh, guilt so uh, he thinks that guilt is the reason that uh, this master morality and slave morality comes in i'll explain what master morality and slave morality is after that uh, okay so uh, often guilt is considered something to be uh, a product of like you know fear fear of the consequence of what will happen and you feel guilt but uh, nietzsche rejects that idea he does not uh, believe that uh, he was a fan of dostoevsky a russian novelist and uh, dostoevsky's uh, novel crime and punishment i do have it here crime and punishment it's quite a fat book in in that he puts a really, really brilliant story it's about this man who uh, murders a woman who is uh, who's not a very nice person and he thinks that her not being alive would be beneficial to mankind and he gets away with the murder so there are no consequences mm-hmm. but his guilt okay. is killing him it okay. it does not allow him to live and the book is beautifully written it it gives you that uh, sense of nausea that person is feeling when he feels that guilt and uh, eventually he is so troubled by it that he goes and confesses uh, that he has uh, killed someone uh, and mm-hmm. uh, that's why guilt does not uh, come from consequence but rather uh it's something within and uh, mm-hmm. nietzsche talks about uh nietzsche accepts this view that dostoevsky puts he was he really uh, adored dostoevsky because uh he and dostoevsky shared similar views on existentialism of finding your own mean of making your own meaning and uh, nietzsche posits that beyond this guilt arises from our ability to make promises that is okay. we remember that we are going to do something for someone and when we are unable to do that there is guilt and therefore punishment it okay. is not a consequence of the punishment but it is a part of it so you see master morality comes from this uh, for example say the creditor is uh, the person who is lending money to another person and uh, okay. the other person is not able to repay it so the creditor can okay. have the debtor flogged okay. or punished and that formed into a morality after a certain mm-hmm. while that is the rich and the wealthy who are often the creditors you don't see a slave giving money to other people because they really had one had some and the slaves are usually mm-hmm. the one who borrowed money so okay. the masters who were really rich and powerful eventually started be- uh, becoming synonymous with good and in fact if you look at the old uh, greek word of uh, good it is uh, similar to being brave and strong and uh, mm-hmm. that's what the master morality is that what is strong is often what is good and uh, the slave does not get to be good because of that and uh, he eventually uh, talks about how uh, slaves rise up to this and they invert the whole thing they reverse the whole thing and what is seen as strong and mighty is considered bad by them and what is considered as weak is considered as good by them and uh, you see this okay. in uh, say the communist uh, movement where the laborers who are uh, at the bottom they are not 
the strongest they are not uh, at the top of the hierarchy but they make themselves through the communist movement they uh, take their uh, movement of laborers and they say that without us uh, the whole system would not work and uh, therefore our uh, labor is uh, something good and uh, mm-hmm. that is not quite true because uh, say people who are above them the superiors or the entrepreneurs are also doing quite a lot of work and it is not uh, logical to discredit their work uh, but they see them as being strong and therefore associate them as bad and they are called as the master morality so anyone who is a part of the master morality for the slaves is bad and nietzsche calls the slave morality as bad conscience because he does not uh, like the way its uh, slaves are uh, rising and dictating what is good and what is bad because uh, that is history leading to a, a point of nihilism after a certain point and he don't don't get him wrong because he is uh, compassionate towards the slaves and uh, the weak but he would not uh, promote making a morality out of it then uh i hope that answers your question or uh, could you could you expand on uh, well you did mention that uh, if say if someone has say power like social power in a in a in a structure in a social structure Uh, what they do for a very long time is like adopted in a social view to be the master morality as you mentioned and, i didn't hear uh, that could uh, you the other that? i uh, didn't hear that could you repeat you, that can you hear me now yeah yeah i can hear you now okay uh, you started off by saying uh, that uh, when there are people in power for a very long time uh, the things which they are doing uh, uh, is kind of adopted uh, through like a structure into the master morality as you say and uh, the people who are kind of under them they might uh, slowly differentiate and develop into whatever their view of the world is and then you espouse that sometimes they might oppose it and try to overthrow that structure in uh, that uh, that one particular way so and you also said that nisha doesn't like uh, how this process goes about so what does he propose what is his solution to uh, you know the conflict or what is his solution to nihilism as you Uh, put it like if nihilism is the issue in in views of nietzsche where there is uh, very little meaning to be found uh, how does nietzsche want you to approach life so uh, when you see uh, he does not want to go back to master morality so after the master morality that's the slave morality and mm-hmm. he does not want to go back to it instead he proposes a new kind of morality that uh, okay where we are he calls that the transvaluation of values that is we are uh, trying to reevaluate all our values and uh, that's how he wants to go about it uh, and uh, about the thing about nihilism he uh, he calls himself an anti nihilist a lot of times because uh, he does not think it in a very depressing way that life has no meaning but instead uh, he opposes he opposes the idea that there is an essence that is inherent meaning but he also says that we are free to make our own meaning and uh, that's how he uh, combats uh, nihilism he uh, his ubermensch is someone who uh, creates his own meaning who uh, isn't dependent on uh, say the master morality or slave morality or some kind of essence to uh, dictate what kind of life they are about to live what, what kind of life they are supposed to live okay uh, you uh, use the really popular word of the ubermensch what is this 
uh, the Ubermensch. It's it's quite a complex uh, complicated uh, thing because uh, Nietzsche never uh, uh, he does not clarify it very well. He often writes in the form okay. of uh, what do you call it? Uh, anecdotes or poems. So uh, okay. one uh, anecdote he mentions is that of uh, it's called on the three metamorphoses. So uh, okay. Nietzsche has simplified his work. Thus spoke Zarathustra, but still people found it difficult to understand it. Uh, so I'll try to uh, explain this as well as I can. In uh, in the three metamorphoses, he first explains that we are uh, humans. So the Ubermensch is a bridge between animal and uh, sorry. The Ubermensch is the how do I put this? The stage that we are aspiring after, and humanity is okay. the bridge between uh, animal and Uberman or Ubermensch, what it translates into. And uh, he does not. He says that man is not the last in the stage of evolution, but there is something greater to come after that. That is the Ubermensch, and. Uh, coming back to the three metamorphoses he says that uh, once we uh, try to leave this uh, stage of humanity we are free spirits and uh, he gets very uh, mythical while trying to explain this part he says that first yeah. we turn in first we uh, look at a great dragon who has all the answers mm -hmm. to everything and uh, that's mm -hmm. when we turn from a free spirit into a camel and uh, mm -hmm. this camel is supposed to carry each and everyone's burden and try to walk ahead in life and uh, eventually the camel realizes that it cannot carry everyone's burden it cannot uh, live like that so it rejects the dragon and it turns could you, could you elaborate on what the burden is because that book puts it rather poetically what those burdens on the camel are <sighs> so uh, i don't remember the exact words nietzsche used i don't uh, remember that part but uh, uh, he talks about the burdens of uh, other people that we carry as uh, oh, yes. as a camel the camel is usually mm -hmm. seen as a, a creature that uh, uh, is uh, built for carrying burden and uh, yeah. eventually uh, you see this camel turn into a, a lion which opposes the dragon so whatever the dragon mm -hmm. tells to do the uh, mm -hmm. the lion says i shall not do it and mm -hmm. uh, there's this conflict between uh, the dragon and the lion and also there's a conflict between uh, the camel and uh, the lion because the camel was the past self of the lion and it's often difficult to leave your past self who you were and uh, eventually once you move forward you uh, turn from a lion into a baby that's the way he puts it uh, a little human baby which he uses the analogy of a baby not going back to being human uh, yeah just clarifying that yeah. what's so special about the baby the thing is he puts out that a baby creates and that's what he finds crucial for the ubermensch to create mm -hmm. their own values to create their own meaning mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he depicts the whole journey through the uh, journey of the ubermensch through the three metamorphoses yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, i i really like kind of a cursory reading on this and uh, this one particular scene which is like very uh, often discussed uh, and there are a lot of similar metaphors like this used in a lot of movies and other uh, yeah. uh, media adaptations of Nietzsche's work. Uh, so from from what I understood was like the camel is supposed to be the individual, the person who is you, as in because Nietzsche considers himself as a psychologist, 
he wants to help you like give you a certain set of values which you can use to better your life i interpret the camel to be like an individual who has the burden of society who has uh, the burden of social norms <coughs> and other aspects which might be uh, you know uh, letting the person down and uh, the camel when when the camel faces the dragon which is the issues in society which are, which are keeping him down i remember the camel uh, reading uh, on the scales of the, the dragon, scales of the, dragon. the words yeah you shall so it, it's as if like the it, it, it's as if the some kind of a religious morality is being imposed on the camp uh, so i think that dragon is a symbol of society and what yeah. uh, the camel is supposed to oppose yeah so the the camel after confronting the dragon then becomes a lion as a brave soul and kills the dragon so now that the the the, the social norms have been defeated uh, the lion then transforms into a baby because the baby needs to learn a new how to live Uh, and you know, kind of develop into a newer person. That that's how I interpret it. I really like the way it's written. It's quite poetic. Yeah. All right. So uh, after his uh, master and slave thing, we can come back to it because I think people have questions about the master slave thing. Uh, okay. So you did. Uh, so he talks about uh, his psychology, uh, his approach to psychology in his book Beyond Good and Evil. So maybe you know you can use all this framework of. His morality and how he applies to psychology. Uh, Nietzsche calls himself a psychologist without equal. He says that there is no other psychologist like him, and uh, okay. it might be a very condescending, pompous thing to say, uh, but he isn't mm-hmm. entirely wrong. He is onto something. Uh, all the uh, famous fields of psychology we have today, uh, he mentions them in almost all his works, uh, mm-hmm. almost decades before they were even uh, founded. For example, uh, uh, firstly, let me say that. Uh, he values psychology a lot he uh, mm-hmm. calls a psychology the queen of all sciences and uh, he calls it uh, to be he thinks he's it's it's a fundamental part of our lives but at the same time he criticizes the psychologists at of his time by uh, saying that uh, they didn't delve deeper into the psyche uh, mm-hmm. so you if you read his work beyond good and evil he uh, he's sort of foreshadowing psychoanalysis Okay. Way before Freud was in the picture, you can see okay. him talking about drives and uh, instincts and repression. Okay. Way before Freud even okay. thought about it, and uh, okay. Okay. he, if you take his idea of uh, the slave morality, the bad conscience, uh, it could, to a certain extent, be similar to Freud's idea of a severe super ego. And uh, okay. before I explain the psychoanalysis part. Uh, Nietzsche talks about uh, Apollo and Dion Dionysus. Uh, Apollo is the god of uh, order, light, and uh, basically uh, of logic. And uh, Dionysus is the god of chaos and uh, wine in uh, Greek myths. And uh, Nietzsche finds this to be quite uh, symbolic of uh, our psychological state. he found that people at, uh, of uh, greece at that point all uh, flocked towards uh, apollo because uh, uh, they were all looking for order but eventually he uh, that's not a very helpful uh, way to go about he uh, considered the dionysian the dionysian way to uh, to be incorporated along with it so it's like the apollo and the dionysian should be a both a part of the same life uh, of the same person okay. Uh, okay 
and that could be very similar to Freud's idea of the id and the superego. The id is uh, the Dionysus, the chaotic part, and the superego is uh, the is Apollo, the uh, orderly part. And the ego, which is the self, is trying to control or ride both these uh, horses at the same time and make sure they don't uh, overpower the other. Because uh, Freud quite explicitly mentions that either side, which uh, if either side goes uh, bonkers, then the person uh, will go crazy about it. The person will uh, not be able to uh, live a healthy life, at least in a at least what uh, Freud considered a healthy life, and. Uh, he, uh, his work, The Space Zarathustra, is also picked by uh, Alfred Adler. Uh, he was a psychoanalyst after Freud. Uh, he's one of the famous uh, psychoanalysts, and uh, he takes uh, the idea from The Space Zarathustra of how we are striving for superiority, and uh, this superiority need not necessarily refer to, uh, say, winning above everyone else, but rather. Uh, mastery over one's environment and uh, okay. it could be something like uh, learning a new language or sculpting or painting and you're trying to take power over your environment and uh, okay. he derived this from Nietzsche's will to power as well uh, his idea of the will to power and mm-hmm. uh, if if you look at it from a psychological point of view uh, if you take the example of suicide it is often considered as the ultimate exertion of power over oneself because often one feels that one does not have power over other uh, uh, events that are happening which causes them to feel suicidal in the first place and uh, to show as the final act that they have power they often uh, take their own lives the ultimate assertion Mm -hmm. of uh, uh, power so that's his view on uh, psychology Uh, then he also so, so is could we could we just uh, could we just you know frame the the psychoanalytical perspective of the aid ego and the superego in a similar manner of you know the the master the slave and the uberman trying to rise above both of them can you frame it that way maybe you know yes, you ego could. Is, yes of course because if the, uh, the, yeah if the slave morality yeah. is a severe superego then uh, the master morality is a uh, severe id because it wants to take things it wants to uh, do what it wants. It uh, mm-hmm. uh, wants to be above people. It wants to satiate its desires. So it could uh, okay. be uh, related to Freud's ideas. Sure, sure. Continue, continue. You are saying something. I can't yeah. Hear. So it's also uh, you can even see it in Rogerian principles of positive psychology. So the whole uh, crux of positive psychology is that uh, you are responsible for your own life and uh, you get to live the way you want to. And uh, you see this uh, happening. The change of uh, uh, thinking in uh, even uh, therapies like uh, uh, REBT, CBT uh, and uh, uh, maybe even existential psychotherapy. In fact, uh, mm-hmm. Frankel, Victor Frankel, uh, in his work Man's mm-hmm. Search for Meaning, he uh, mm-hmm. mentions Nietzsche a lot of time because uh, mm-hmm. he talks about, even though he's in Auschwitz and uh, he's suffering a lot, he talks about how uh, he finds his, he can find his own meaning He can because he can make his own meaning. And he uh, cites uh, so, Nietzsche's line. So he was line. a prisoner at Auschwitz. Yeah, yeah. He was okay. a Jewish uh, uh, psychiatrist in the Auschwitz camp, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, cites this one line by Nietzsche: uh, "What doesn't kill me makes me stronger." He cites it quite a lot of time, uh, because that's used as a crux for positive psychology that uh, you are stronger than the things happening around you, and you are in control. Because often people 
feel like they're not on control. Like I mentioned about the suicide aspect, that's exactly why it happens. And that's what the therapists want to prevent. And uh, you even see this in works of other existential psychotherapists like Rollo May, uh, uh, Frankel, of course, uh, uh, Irvin Yalo. These all guys, these people are greatly inspired by Nietzsche's works. And uh, he was onto something when he said he's a great psychologist because he uh, paved the way for uh, the psychology we have today. <coughs> His famous idea of the will to power, it's uh, quite a complex uh, concept, but simply put, we want to, uh, everything everything that exists, everything that lives rather, exerts its power, mm-hmm. like a plant okay. grows and takes its space and, and etc. Like there are other uh, examples he gives, which I can't remember at the moment, but he says it applies to humans too. We all want to exert power and uh, okay. some people have more will to exert power and little power to exert it and some people have little will to exert that power but they have more power and he wants okay. to find he uh, focuses on finding a balance between that uh, will and that power and uh, <coughs> he proposes that as a uh, something ag- as something against darwin's idea of evolution so uh, he doesn't actually critique Darwin's idea, but rather Herbert Spencer's interpretation of Darwin. So Spencer is a sociologist. He talks of how uh, we're all evolving, right? And we're becoming better and better. So Spencer thought that eventually there'll be a, an ideal creature uh, once we evolve. And uh, <clears throat> that evolution is based on uh, self-preservation. That is survival of the fittest. And for that survival is the key uh, concept for uh, evolution. But uh, Nietzsche uh, disagrees. He, in fact, finds the will to power as the most important motive of uh, evolution. And uh, he says that uh, what uh, Spencer mentioned about, uh, what did I just say? Uh, Self-preservation. Yeah, that as a consequence of the will to power. And uh, he disagrees with the existence of an ideal creature that we cannot actually ever have an ideal creature because uh, we're all deeply flawed because we have uh, our desires and we will never be able to be say completely happy no one can ever be perfect and Mm -hmm. he acknowledges that that no one can ever be perfect no matter how much we evolve and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah that's his psychology so yeah questions related to that quick comment on like the last uh, last part so uh, this is kind of a mistake a lot of people in exactly that period did between uh, committed between like say 1880 to 1820 uh, that included uh, a lot of uh, psychologists who formed the basis of the Nazis uh, was this idea of social Darwinism where uh, Darwinism or uh, like, uh, natural selection as a concept can be applied within humanity so there like are, eugenics uh, yeah like eugenics yes so uh, uh, they they imp- they applied the idea of uh, Darwin and other biologists at the time, which uh, wanted to show evolution as something which happens in in uh, interspecies, not intraspecies. So uh, the the competition and everything Darwin and other evolutionary biologists talk about, it is always about between two different species. Uh, it never makes claims or has never made claims about any kind of uh, superiority in terms of, you know, survival of the fittest inside a particular mm, species, yeah. uh, which was picked up in a very uh, yeah. obtuse and wrong manner by a lot of uh, social Darwinists. 
uh, which led to the concentration camps and uh, yeah. other uh, racist, uh, racist sentiments. Anyway, Even Nietzsche was wrong. Even Nietzsche was wrong about Darwin. Yeah. Because he never actually read Darwin. I don't think he ever read Darwin. He read Spencer's yeah, yeah. interpretation of Darwin. And uh, mm. so his critique is basically of uh, Spencer's interpretation of Darwin or Spencer's ideas rather than Darwin per se. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. So do, do you want to uh, expound on how he was wrong about Darwin because you just brought it up, I just thought it was interesting. Uh, I don't remember that part. Uh, that's fine, that's fine. No I don't remember that part. That's okay, no so, um, uh, so Nietzsche was like very famed for, uh, you know, he even though he had a small hammer, he always had, a, had that hammer with him. So he did not uh, let any kind of any kind of a status quo survive under his own thought. So, so what were what were some of Nietzsche's critiques of some classical philosophers? So could you maybe expand uh, on that? Nietzsche has a lot to say about many other people. He uh, his works are quite uh, his works are often filled with just critiques of other people, and uh, yes. <laughs> mostly just calling them fools or just insulting them and. Uh, one may assume that he does not have much basis, but he's uh, he has quite some uh, basis in his argument. For example, he spends a lot of his time just critiquing Socrates. I think, in fact, two of his books he uh, in in Beyond Good and Evil he uh, critiques Socrates throughout the book, and in Twilight of the Idols he dedicates one entire chapter just to uh, show where Socrates was wrong. So, mm-hmm. uh, I'll take Socrates as well as other uh, what do you call them? Uh, idealists. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a critique of idealists. So the thing is, mm-hmm. idealism uh, is very similar to other worldliness. So uh, he talks about how. Uh, so at a crux, idealism is that our world isn't real, but rather just a product of uh, what our organs are sensing. Our organs are creating the world for us. Uh, we are hallucinating our reality. And uh, mm-hmm. that was the uh, prevalent uh, interpretation by different uh, people. Even I think I think it's even uh, under Buddhism. I'm not entirely sure, but even Buddhism oh, it has is still a topic of discussion and study. Yeah, um, and uh, there are different forms of idealism, but this is one that's uh, majorly picked of our organs producing our reality. And uh, yeah. uh, Nietzsche puts a very brilliant critique. He says that. Uh, uh, if our organs are uh, perceiving reality and we don't exist and if the reality doesn't exist, how is it that our organs are existing? Are they perceiving themselves too or are they just uh, there? And if they are there, why are they there? They, they create themselves because nothing can be cause us we, that is uh, creating themselves. So why are your organs doing that? And that's a brilliant critique he puts against uh, the idealist uh, uh, notion. And uh, since then, uh, People have rejected that, uh, largely rejected that form of idealism that Socrates had put forth of uh, forms mm-hmm. and uh, uh, substances and reality being produced by our organs. And uh, he then uh, critiques uh, the Stoics. Uh, he was quite, uh, let's say. So could you just could you just give a one-line definition of what Stoicism is? Because some people uh, might yeah, not know okay. about it. Yeah, my bad. Stoicism is very simply put at the crux, uh, embracing your suffering. Often people try to avoid their suffering and run away from them. But the Stoics are uh, people who uh, believe in embracing your suffering and uh, 
not running away from problems but uh, standing uh, firm when the problems come that's the crux of stoicism there's a lot to it and there's uh, lots of people who have uh, spoken about it seneca marcus aurelius uh, for example seneca in uh, on the shortness of time says that uh, we do not live a short life we live quite a long life but it feels like a short life because we are wasting our time a lot and uh, instead of doing that we sh- and and the time we waste is usually trying to avoid suffering but we okay. would be able to live to the fullest if we tried to embrace that suffering so that's that's stoicism uh, in a nutshell uh, mm-hmm. so uh, nietzsche is quite fond of uh, this stoic principles of embracing suffering but he does not uh, believe in living that life particularly because he s- says that you stoics who think you are living according to nature are actually not living according to nature because uh, he says that if you look at nature it's quite hedonic it's quite uh, uh, it's often tries to avoid pain and it tries to uh, maximize happiness or pleasure and it tries not to uh, get itself extinct often suffering in the natural world at least when we're talking it from a darwinian perspective it could relate to uh, being killed and that's not what people want and uh, uh he says that mostly because of uh, the death of socrates uh he's quite in a quite a stoic manner uh, went and faces that and uh, nietzsche does uh, affirm that idea that we should be uh, strong but uh, he he opposes the idea that uh, we should uh, give up suffering uh, pleasure and uh, i think on his part it's a misinterpretation of stoicism because uh, mm-hmm. stoics don't necessarily uh, say that you should avoid uh, su- uh, pleasure which they uh, talk about embracing suffering and uh, there are a few stoics who do talk about it though and i think he might be critiquing those stoics not all stoics mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. apart from that he doesn't critique stoicism much because uh, his ideas are quite in line with it and in fact he gives uh, stoics a very uh, important concept known as amor fati which is latin for okay. uh, love of fate or love of destiny and uh, okay it relates to uh, mm, loving your suffering very simply put okay. loving what is out of your control <clears throat> he did okay. believe that we are free to live our lives but he was not foolish to say that uh, we are free of we are completely autonomous and we can do whatever we please there are a few things that are out of our control and uh, that's where he brings in the idea of amor fati of how we should uh, uh appreciate uh the suffering that comes in our way uh after that he critiques uh, descartes quite uh, well uh it's it's quite funny uh descartes very famous uh line cogito uh, ergo sum which means i think therefore i am is widely misinterpreted by the common people often people assume that uh, i exist because i am thinking but that's not what uh uh descartes was trying to do descartes experiment thought experiment went something like uh if i couldn't trust my senses that the mm-hmm. whole world was uh just an illusion what could i trust the most my thoughts so mm. i exist because i am thinking even if all my senses do not uh work uh mm-hmm. that is often quite uh, wrongly understood by people that uh, uh it's because i am thinking i exist that's not what he is trying to say he is trying to say that uh, our thoughts what is called as a priori uh, in uh, mm-hmm. philosophy it's contributing mm-hmm. it's 
uh, what we can say uh, how do I put this he's trying to show that if even if we were completely skeptical of everything else we uh-huh. could affirm our existence through thought through our reasoning okay. through our uh, mm-hmm. consciousness and uh, Nietzsche critiques that by saying that uh, say uh, he says that why did Descartes stop at thought at thinking because thoughts are not in our control they just come and mm-hmm. go most of the time without our permission mm-hmm. and Descartes mm-hmm. uh, sorry Nietzsche uh, critiques that that how can we take thought as the most uh, as the as fundamental as something that's objective something that's uh, crucial or why did he stop there and he uh, okay. he makes fun of Descartes quite a lot uh, Descartes for, quite a lot for that uh, mm-hmm. then uh, the, uh, Nietzsche opposed objective morality quite a lot uh, as we saw in uh, the master of slave morality thing. But he also uh, dislikes uh, utilitarians. Uh, he calls uh, Mill a blockhead. Yeah, Stuart Mill. Yeah, he calls him. He calls Stuart so, Mill a blockhead. Again, define utilitarianism for people yeah, who might not know what that is. Uh, yeah. Utilitarian uh, utilitarianism is basically uh, choosing the best option, choosing uh, morality as something that uh, maximizes happiness for the most people. And uh, okay. he, Nietzsche did not agree with this because he said, "What is uh, so often utilitarians try to." Uh, seek maximum happiness for the common good but Nietzsche proposes that what is common is usually not good uh, for example say take uh, Hitler's uh, this regime what he thought he was trying to do good for a large number of people that is Germans and Jews formed a quite small strata so you could say that Germans in that area the Nazis were the common people and he proposed that uh, Hitler uh, put the point that uh, killing Jews would serve as a common good and that's not the case we could not never uh, reason in that way that uh, killing of Jews would benefit all of Germany so that's why he uh, although Hitler happened uh, Hitler's uh, regime happened quite a lot quite after uh, Nietzsche's time it's it's quite a relevant example in this case <coughs> hmm. all right uh, so, uh, did he critique, uh, okay, so I sense a slight contradiction in uh, this one point. Uh, just just uh, like five minutes ago, we were talking about how Nietzsche was uh, against uh, perceived reality. And uh, I, I, I think, was was Descartes arguing that I can perceive reality uh, and I can think about it, that, that therefore it's real. And uh, so, so, and uh, so, Nietzsche is critiquing both those sides. Then. He's also yeah. critiquing perception and he's also critiquing, uh, you know, a, a, a thoughts on about that perception at the same time. He often does that. For example, he critiques objective truth and he critiques the idea of, uh, say, an illusory world. And similarly, he mm-hmm. critiques both uh, a priori and a posteriori. That is, uh, depending on your exper- experiences and your perception or senses and your thoughts. Yeah, he, he he's quite Kantian in that way, like Kant's idea of mm-hmm. critique of pure reason and uh, critique of practical judgment. He's critiquing both sides, and uh, he does that quite often. Okay, okay, all right, um, all right. So okay, we, we have spent quite a lot of time about like 
how he thought and what his world view might be do, do you want to get to the do you want to get to the famous bit now shanan <laughs> uh, you, you may want to talk to us about nietzsche's most favorite line why why does nietzsche say that god is dead and what does he exactly mean about mean by let me let me read that line for you firstly okay yeah sure sure which is fine that line It's quite a famous line. It's used in uh, many uh, movies and uh, yeah. uh, quite a lot of memes too about it. Okay, so the context is that there is a man who is running on the streets and uh, uh, asking people, "Have you seen God? Have you seen God?" And people make fun of him, saying that uh, uh, has he lost like a child, etc. And they laugh at that person. and this person just breaks into this uh, rant he says god is dead god remains dead and we have killed him how shall we comfort us uh, comfort ourselves the murderers of all murderers what was the holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives who will wipe this blood off and then he continues talking for quite some time he talks about how uh, he says whether will we go now up down left right uh, where are we moving now forward backward etc so what does he mean by god is that uh he is not this is not a celeb uh, celebrate uh, a line of celebration is that god is yeah mm-hmm. i wasn't getting that word that's <laughs> i just drank water <laughs> i wasn't getting that word uh he isn't celebrating this uh, idea of atheism that's not his point that's not what yeah. he's going with but that's how it is interpreted yeah. through media and memes yeah. but that is not yes. what he is saying what at he's all saying, yeah. he's yeah. trying to say that uh First, you have to look at the period he's living in. So, the period he's living in is basically towards the end of uh, the French Revolution, and it's the beginning of uh, uh, the Industrial Revolution. And you see, uh, Enlightenment is towards it's the end en- of the Enlightenment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the end of the Enlightenment. Enlightenment yeah. is coming to an end, and you see industries are coming up, and it's quite uh, vast. And because of that, people were losing their faith. And he spoke of how uh, he says that when God, he says God is there, and we have killed him. he means that people are becoming indifferent to religion that people at that yes. point were losing their faith at the really uh, in really huge numbers in fact if you were to uh, look at the statistics like people uh, mm-hmm. before were way more religious than people are now and people are eventually losing mm-hmm. their faith in quite a huge number and that's what yeah. he was against uh, as in that's what he was uh, worried about because if everyone started losing their faith that would lead to nihilism uh, an entire period of nihilism actually of people losing yeah. uh, values and uh, because most of the values that we have uh, derive from uh, come from religion like morality yeah. and knowledge truth there are often values that come from religion if if uh, religion were to go extinct uh, on what basis are we creating our values like uh, uh, being nice to others uh, being uh, humble being kind etc etc mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. he isn't talking about uh, social niceties here he isn't talking about mm-hmm. uh, just being cruel for example uh, it would be quite cruel to gift uh, headphones to a person who is deaf as a joke that that wouldn't be a very nice thing to do uh, but he isn't talking about such things he is actually talking about the big questions about morality uh, like murder and all the other things that encompass and all the people before him have tried to do it rationally through reason but he didn't find it compelling mm-hmm. enough Uh, of trying to mm-hmm. f- find morality through reason, and he says that if we mm-hmm. lose uh, God, then we will not be able to uh, 
find that morality those values again and uh, yeah. he says uh, whether are we moving now uh, backward forward rightward and that's a very poetic view because you know in most conceptions of religion in most religions there is a conception of hell and uh, heaven heaven and hell heaven is something always mm-hmm. upward and uh, hell is something always downward and uh, mm-hmm. that's how we track our progress in life we want to move upward right and downward is something that we want yeah. to avoid that's that's the yeah. uh, poetic way of putting it and that we want to reach towards the heavens we want to grow uh, ahead no one wants to grow backward no one wants mm-hmm. to uh, no one wants they are uh, say success to decline no one wants they are uh, knowledge to decline perhaps whatever that is that they value the most and he says that the minute we lose god the minute people stop stop believing in god there will be no up or down where are we moving it's it's almost like when space because w- once uh, people stop believing in god there is no concept of right and wrong it's something that dostoevsky wrote about dostoevsky was a christian thinker he says that uh, if god does not exist then everything is permissible and it's a very beautiful idea that uh, the, the beautifully uh, written whether are we moving now because uh, at that point people were losing their faith as i mentioned before and he was worried about where people are going to go and he knew that if this does succeed this this uh, movement of indifference towards religion does succeed there will be mass killings and morality will go out the window and he was not wrong the irony is that hitler did what he was afraid of using nietzsche's name and yeah. although hitler's propaganda was not atheistic in uh, uh, principle but the yeah. crux of it did lie in it he was indifferent to religion and he threw morality out the window and then after a few years you see that in stalinism too so nietzsche was not wrong when he say that uh, there would be a lot of killings and morality would not be uh, something that people would bother about if people stop believing in god so that's the whole point of god is dead so what uh, from in, in summary so what he was actually about when he said god is dead is more uh, is more akin to asking uh, now that we know uh, uh, some facets of the world and people are not believing in a lot of supernatural things uh, where do we go from here that is kind of his question like what do we do next yes that's absolutely right how, how do we reconstruct morality and how do we you know put some things into context yeah that's absolutely correct okay all right so how does he what does he propose what do we do to he proposes the ubermensch kind of, but okay. he does not get to the morality part because uh, uh, he was adding will to power back then uh, as a okay. way of solving this problem but he didn't get to it because he died uh, okay. so he didn't get to finish it and uh, anyway okay. even if he would have finished it he wasn't going to publish it because he wasn't very proud of that work uh, mm-hmm. you can see copies of that you can see copies of his notebook in which he was writing that uh, he uh, uses that book in which he is writing uh, uh, will to power as a shopping list he writes after by toothbrush and all that stuff and uh, he wasn't i think i don't think he was very happy with the solution that he had in mind but uh, mm-hmm. he does propose the ubermensch as a starting point for uh, the solution as uh, creating their own values as i mentioned before the transvaluation mm-hmm. of all values of that is reevaluating all the values that exist mhm all right all right hmm so so he did not he did not assert a certain kind of morality on you the reader or the people uh but uh, he was also against moral relativism if i'm if i'm if i'm correct 
so how did he balance those two things he he did not prescribe a morality to you but he did not really believe in relative moralities either so how did he go about uh could you elaborate that what do you mean by that he did not believe in moral relativism as in uh, so he was he was he let people into he let people build up their own moralities as in uh, you you adopt this persona of the of the ubermensch as he called it and then you go about living your life doing uh, things from that perspective of uh, you know transcending the uh, the uh, super ego and the id in in some sense uh, he did prescribe that but he did not tell you okay doing this one particular thing is better than that one particular thing uh, but he still in some sense did believe in the fact that uh, you know uh, some set of moral values could be better than the others because you know he's believing in the ubermensch as in there is a better morality morality than another one in some sense so how did he how did he go about doing that i'm not sure if he is opposed to moral relativism uh he was uh quite uh i don't think he would have agreed to cultural relativism uh, cultural uh, moral relativism under cultural relativism that is uh, culture decides the the morality he i don't think he would have uh, agreed to that i think he would have uh, stayed up to something like uh, the individual uh, creating his uh, i wouldn't say morality because uh, that turns very problematic very quickly that just regresses yeah. back to master morality uh, yeah so as i said he hadn't uh, formulated it quite well he was still uh, solving the problem of uh, meaning and uh, he found the ubermensch as the starting point of uh, creating of creating all meanings the higher man and uh, he didn't figure out a way of uh, uh, using that as something for morality but mm-hmm. uh, it was quite similar to uh, the master morality if you read mm-hmm. the will to power mm-hmm. however it's yeah. difficult to trust that source as i said his sister edited a lot to uh, mm-hmm. align with her nazi views so we can't say for sure Okay. If, he okay. uh, if if you have read about it uh, like uh, we'll just uh, bring it to a close and we'll take questions in a couple of minutes uh, we did talk about uh, nietzsche we talked about his views uh, are there any very primary critiques that you have or some other people might have critiqued him in interesting ways which you know bring forth more information <laughs> do you have any criticisms yourself or did some other philosophers or thinkers have criticisms about nietzsche uh well firstly it's difficult to uh, critique someone who is difficult to read so not many people critique mm-hmm. nietzsche but uh, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, philosophy professors do not like uh, talking about nietzsche they don't even consider him as a good philosopher because okay. what he often does is and this is my critique he often stands in the middle of everything he stands in the center for example uh, uh, he will not stand with objective truth nor will he stand with an illusory world he will not stand with mm-hmm. senses or with reason uh, or with uh, reasoning or thought he will stand mm-hmm. in the center and he does not stand up for anything that you know you particularly believe in like when mm-hmm. any any philosopher that has existed till date has a uh, a particular value a core value that they take forth and uh, mm-hmm. the ubermensch could be something that uh, could be nietzsche's concept that he's taking forward but apart from that it's difficult to find uh, you know instances where he is actually taking his ideas own and not standing in the middle and his critiques okay. are quite good of other philosophers but 
I'm not sure if uh, he proposes something to to do about it because uh, that's negative philosophy. Like you're negating other philosophers, but you need to be able to put forth something instead of that. Like if you're yeah. rejecting uh, your experiences, say Descartes put thought to it, like thinking to it, and yeah. he substituted it. But Nietzsche doesn't necessarily do that for most of the critiques he gives. So that's one yeah. uh, critique against Nietzsche's works. All right, uh, that was uh, that, that was interesting. So, uh, do you want to conclude and maybe like take questions or what comments? Do you want to address the comments? There have been quite a few comments. Uh, before I end, I, I actually want to explain sure. uh, two particular ideas. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, sure. Uh, it's about the Ubermensch. So, uh, okay. What I find particularly interesting about the Ubermensch is that it does not have any particular archetype. Uh, for those who are not <clears throat> aware of archetypes, archetypes are often these archaic images that exist, and uh, it's often associated with Carl Jung, uh, psychoanalyst after Freud. And in fact, the, uh, Carl Jung and Freud were really good friends, and uh, Jung posits that uh, within human history there exists archetypes, uh, these images that rec that we find as patterns throughout human history. For example, say, mm -hmm. uh, a archetype of a hero. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we will always find in stories, etc. Stories is the way he yeah. studies uh, archetypes because stories uh, are the place where we manifest those uh, archetypes deep within our psyche. So you will find mm -hmm. uh, a hero as uh, an archetype, the anti-hero as an archetype, the villain as an archetype. Uh, there is uh, mm -hmm. a mother archetype, a father archetype. Uh, for example, say, uh, in uh, the Trobriand Islands, where uh, the mm -hmm. anthropologist Malinowski worked, uh, it was mm -hmm. a matriarchal society. So, mm -hmm. the fathers were not the father of the child was not actually someone very important, but rather the mother, the mother's brother was an important father figure. So that um, mother's brother would form as the father archetype for that for that child. Uh, and mm -hmm. you see different archetypal images that are there. For example. Uh, uh, I gave quite a lot of examples there. He also talks about death as an archetype, how death is often personified in uh, different stories, and uh, uh, rebirth is an archetype. But Zarathustra, uh, Nietzsche's Zarathustra, he talks about uh, the Ubermensch. It does not fall under any uh, particular archetype. And uh, that's mainly because he intended it to be so. Uh, so the thing is, he wants his Ubermensch to be someone who is beyond good and evil. So I can imagine Nietzsche, say Nietzsche was alive today, uh, his favorite mm -hmm. show would be something like Game of Thrones because <clears throat> there is no good character, bad character in say something like Game of Thrones. Uh, mm -hmm. The relatively good character like Ned Stark is just killed off in the first season and that was George R.R. Uh, George R.R. Martin's attempt at showing that this isn't that good guy, bad guy story and he's trying mm -hmm. to break through those archetypal images. and. Uh, mm -hmm. It becomes more realistic because, uh, say, I know many people who wanted Tyrion Lannister to be to win the Game of Thrones because it's it's quite a realistic scenario. He's not a good person, but he's not a bad person either. So you cannot place him in a category, and you see different characters throughout Game of Thrones. Uh, whenever you try to place someone under a good uh, archetype or a bad kind of image, they are not that way, and he mm -hmm. would have hated something like Lord of the Rings. Because it has a definitive good character and a definitive bad character. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. <coughs> like Sauron is the villain and uh, Aragorn is say the good guy and uh, Nietzsche would have agreed George R R Martin uh, Martin's view that uh, Aragorn is a good man but a good man does not necessarily mean a good king uh, he puts this line that i want to ask aragorn how he would do the taxes for his country and that's a very funny line uh, so that's a good uh, uh, way of looking at nietzsche's ideas in pop culture and uh, okay. another brilliant uh, example is that of uh, avengers end game uh, actually avengers as a whole you see uh captain america is struggling with the idea of morality throughout uh towards the beginning he is uh exhibiting something like a slave morality he does not like bullies he does not like people who just display strength for the heck of it but towards say post civil war the movies he does not uh know what is right or wrong anymore and uh that is quite uh that is something that nietzsche would like that the person that Captain America is trying to go beyond good and evil and he is doing good just for the sake of doing good that's exactly why when uh, people from people who didn't agree with his views say like iron man he would still help them he would still he would still fought thanos with uh, he still fought, fought against thanos with them and uh, there's a particular moment in end game spoilers for someone who's not seen it uh, it's been months actually more than a year so it's on you if you've not seen it uh he talks about uh this is scene where uh you know captain america is facing thanos uh his shield is broken he's injured everyone else is down and he's facing thanos and his whole army alone i you know, remember that it's a very small, small scene yeah, I, do, I, do, I, do, i do i do i do remember yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a it's a five second scene but it's beautiful yeah, yeah. because yeah. cap knows that there is no way he can defeat thanos and his army there's no way he can do mm-hmm. that but he still mm-hmm. gets up and he does it he still gets up and walks towards thanos uh, to fight him to fight against him mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. something that's similar to uh uh what's his name nietzsche's concept of the ubermensch because even though cap is co- uh, conflicted with morality of what is right and what is right wrong to, to what is the wrong thing to do he could he could not fight he could go away because he's technically not even allowed to be on american land something or because mm-hmm. of the people but post uh, infinity war yeah. he yeah, was yeah. required he stayed and yeah. he could very well wait for backup but yet he still tries to fight knowing that there might not be backup and okay. that's very similar to nature's idea of the ubermensch of trying to own everything that's coming to your <clears throat> coming in your way that is the example of amor fati that he knows that maybe he's going to die over there but he is mm-hmm. still in he still admiring or rather appreciating that moment of mm-hmm. taking his principle that this person thanos is doing something wrong and i have to stand up against him even if it means it's only mm-hmm. me i will still stand up against him and uh, mm-hmm. this is a concept that he takes uh, that nature derives from eternal recurrence now that this is a very misunderstood uh, misunderstood misinterpreted uh concept often people think that he's saying that reality moves in circles that it's an infinite loop of the same thing over and over again that's not what nietzsche is saying he's saying that uh, we should live as though it's that way so if it were that way that your life were happening the same way again and again you how would mm-hmm. you choose to live would you be anxious of the trouble that's coming or would you 
just accept it and not be anxious that's where amor fati comes in and that's where the stoic part comes in and what would you do with your life would you uh, just carry the values that you were given through society or would you create your own values would you create your own meaning and that's mm. what you see cap do and that's what you see iron man do towards the end he knows that he does not want to die but he knows it's the right mm. thing to do so he takes it up on him mm. that's just a point i wanted to add in uh niche yeah, and pop culture it, it it makes sense it makes sense yeah. uh you can you can frame uh, heroes well like conflicted heroes as the revenge very easily uh and it has been done endlessly and captain america is actually a fairly good example in doing that you mm. can actually uh, you know break it down and even say that uh, 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 iron man's own journey was some kind of a journey to be the revenge but from his uh, perspective from his own way you know, rising up to situation as uh, as it were Yeah, he's the uh, example of master morality. He just takes what he wants. Yeah. He's the it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So, do you want to address what people have been talking about? Yeah, I'm, I'm eager to read the comments. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Father Fra- Father Fra- Francis was in the comments. Uh, he was talking about how art is an important part of uh, Nietzsche's discussion, and he saw it as a necessary way of being able to. Uh, reinterpret the mystery of life. That's that's a really nice way to put it. I think um, that's perhaps when he was still a student, I guess, when he was uh, writing yeah, yeah. pieces. That's, that's in both of tragedy. Have... That's in both of tragedy. Okay. Uh, all right. Once, he sees that as a. He sees that yeah, somewhat yeah. as a replacement of religion to a certain extent, hmm. and which uh, hmm. is it's. it's I didn't talk much about Gotham Tragedy because it's quite a complex book, and uh, I don't mm-hmm. want to complicate it for no reason. But yeah, he he does uh, emphasize a lot on uh, Wagner's music, and he thinks of it as being something that would liberate people, and it would it was quite revolutionary for his time. But eventually, he realized that uh, Wagner was just uh, sulking in his own glory, and he was quite proud of being a good musician, and that mm-hmm. made him lose faith in Wagner uh, as someone who wants to save mankind. It's it's a nice work. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Dylan calls him the OG Edge Lord. I kind of agree with that. I totally agree <laughs> with that. I totally agree with that. <laughs> He, he's the OG Edge Lord. Okay. Uh, Shalom uh, is saying his sister is a grifter. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, I didn't get that. What is okay, that? Okay. Vaishnavi has a, uh, his sister is a grifter because she used his work for something else. Um. Vaishnavi is asking a very interesting question. She is asking, uh, is master morality somehow related to cultural hegemony? Hmm. Yes, to a certain extent. Yes. Yes. Uh, to a certain extent, definitely. Yeah. Well, it, uh, it, it would it would be it it will be really important to understand what kind of cultural hegemony. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it is a very broad term. Yeah. So I was thinking of Gramsci's hegemony. Uh, so if it could be under it it need not necessarily be uh, hegemony completely but it could be a part of hegemony for example there could be a slave morality kind of hegemony too uh, so hmm. both master and slave morality could be forms of hegemony hmm. that's a really good question yeah yeah uh, <laughs> play uh, coffin uh, dance <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, i just to expand on what vishnu was asking um Uh, it does uh, apply to cultural hegemony. It it is it comes more out of 
uh, he so nisha always uses this word called uh, herd morality or herd mentality he always mm, yeah herd uh, instinct right, yeah herd instinct yeah so what he means to say is uh, what is imposed by you by a majority is usually what he uh, means by that mm. so then again says uh, he's like buddha with a mustache i disagree <laughs> with that buddha's Yeah, he did not believe in what Buddha believed. Yeah, yeah. Buddha first accepts nihilism and then uh, moves ahead to the rest of the world. Better mustache uh, okay. than Hitler. That's something I agree. <laughs> uh, Shashwat is asking, uh, does uh, do his his ideas stem from observation of people living in the pre-Germany era? Uh, also, were his ideas influential in the unifi- unification of uh, Germany? So I think he me he's talking about the uh, Kaiser era of uh, Germany in the early so, uh, uh, around World War One. Were Nietzsche's ideas influential then? I'm not sure about uh, the second one. Uh, I know it, his works did uh, contribute to uh, Auschwitz and Hitler's uh, yeah. regime. That's uh, something I do know. But uh, yeah. for the first part, uh, not just the pre-German era, but. Uh, i think world history to a certain extent he because he was reading extensively say the greek culture the roman culture the uh, he was reading uh, the works of uh, people from uh, say the west like uh, stuart mill and mm-hmm. he was critiquing everyone be it socrates mm-hmm. stuart mill schopenhauer so mm-hmm. i don't just think pre german era but uh, mostly the different uh, he even critiques uh, eastern philosophy to a certain extent and uh, mm-hmm. those another part of the question uh, he does uh, <coughs> critique the people of his era he finds the german mm-hmm. intellect uh, not so intellectual yeah. and uh, yeah. he calls them fools and that's the basic theme he just ridicules everyone it's quite funny bevas uh, is asking bevas is saying he's commenting on something which i said about darwin i think i think uh, you are wrong uh, but russell wallace talked about evolution of interspecies oh Okay, so uh, about the social Darwinism thing, uh, the main point against it is that it is not just competition. There is also factors like mutual aid and uh, symbiosis, which go go along between species, which is not considered in social Darwinism, which is considered to be pure competition. So, uh, you know, species do help each other, which is not considered by the social Darwinists, and they only believe that uh, no pure competition is the way to go, and uh, not any kind of cooperation, which is uh, seen in You know, species and in ecology, person. Uh, so yeah, you are correct, uh, but I think you understood me wrong. Um, uh, Francis, uh, Father Francis is again commenting. Nietzsche was against traditions of morality, religion, uh, and reason, and exposed the emptiness at the heart of religion. I think that's that's a good observation. Could, could you repeat that? Uh, Father Francis is saying uh, Nietzsche was uh, against uh, the traditions of morality, religion. And the reason, uh, and reason, and exposed the emptiness at the heart of civilization. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing I mentioned the start, the small hammer yeah, yeah. pointing the yes. uh, tapping to see the hollowness yes. inside of the idols. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, Doctor Pramod Bankele says God, uh, God, the concept of God evolved due to the uncertainty of life, and particularly fear. Sure. Um, He's also saying in one community, one thing is considered moral. In other communities, it may be taboo. Yes, so that was yes. a, that was what what I was talking about, like moral relativism. Uh, yeah, it it is more. It is in in some uh, aspects more uh, relative. That's true. Navneet is asking us to play coffin dance. Not right now. Maybe <laughs> later. Um, 
Okay, uh, San is asking us if Hitler could appropriate the overman to fit his anti-Semitism and that was fine because of the vague definition of it, then why he, Nietzsche, was against those views. Uh, what did Nietzsche mean uh, by beyond good and evil? More good than good or evil or more evil than good and evil? Uh, uh, hold on. Um, Okay, so uh, San is basically asking the second question that is Nietzsche uh, pulling towards good uh, in the good and evil part or evil in the good, uh, good and evil part? I okay, so uh, when he says beyond good and evil, uh, I think in the second okay. aphorism of itself, he says that uh, uh, we're trying to go beyond those definitions. The thing is, we think in binaries, right? Uh, yes. That is a good dress. That is not a good dress. That is a good person. Yeah. That is not a good person. That is a good thing to yeah. do. That is not a good thing to do. And that's what he's trying yeah. to say that don't look at the world in such a uh, dichotomy or you yes. know this binary way and uh, that's what i was talking yeah. about game of thrones there is no good character or bad character there are characters who are yeah. quite realistic and you can't define them as yes. something good or evil and yes. that's what he's yes. trying to say you have to go beyond that conception beyond that outlook on life yeah yeah any other questions oh that's all uh, i think let's like, stay online for like two to three more minutes if there are more questions please uh, put it in the chat we'll read them out uh, feel free to ask anything uh, but we will wait those questions so, anyway. um like I, I would like to just like generally add like a concluding remark in in a in a way um, it is like because nietzsche is someone who does not posit a, a you know he doesn't give you a manifesto or he doesn't give you any set things to do to improve particular things uh he is the kind of philosopher which you know he philosophizes philosophy in some ways uh so he he will give you an approach and he'll give you a framework to apply to various scenarios so you see you know as someone mentioned uh, like uh, san was mentioning that uh, some of nietzsche's work was picked up by uh, by hitler and it was interpreted in his own ways to to do his evil work uh, it was also uh, interpreted in many ways by several kind of anti-fascists like so emma goldman interpreted a lot of his work uh, in her own right so it is like super important to understand that he did not want he did not espouse a particular kind of social or political ideology in in like a straightforward way he, he just generally uh, gave a framework to you know to apply to your own uh, being in some sense and we and Shashwat something Shashwat pointed out uh, about um, uh, him being off his time. So he was a German, where he was German, uh, critiquing a lot of German culture and a lot of German philosophy during his time. It is also very important to understand uh, that he comes I, I like all thinkers of their time. They come from a time frame and they come from a period uh, of their own uh, understanding. So the knowledge about the world which they had at that time, they use it to derive their uh, philosophies and ideas. So today, if there was someone like Nietzsche, they might draw different conclusions of the world because you know the conditions, the the physical conditions of the world and the things we know about the world are much different. So it's always nice to you know uh, understand and, and learn about frameworks you might disagree with, uh, but uh, see where they're coming from and try to put them in uh, a, a historical context in, in some way and uh, go ahead with it. So that's always a nice way to do it. Uh, a nice way to approach philosophy. There's a new question. Uh, Kunal, yeah, Kunal is asking, can Nietzsche's opinions be related to topics of metaphys metaphysics like uh, multiple realities? Mm. Nietzsche was uh, quite uh, 
against to a certain extent uh, of metaphysics uh, he wouldn't i don't think he would uh, agree with multiple realities because he was quite uh, critical of uh, socrates view of uh, other world and uh, yeah. i don't think he would approve of it he uh, yeah. is quite known of uh, taking on metaphysics because you can't know it for sure you can't know for sure that is yeah. say a metaphysical world a multiple uh, more multiple realities it's something that even yeah. uh, uh, the another i think german philosopher not entirely sure uh, wittgenstein says that he does not prefer talking about metaphysics because you can't know anything about the metaphysical world so nietzsche doesn't prefer talking about it because you cannot know anything about that world uh, and mm-hmm. if you know about it it's not a metaphysical metaphysical world because it's supposed to be beyond our physical world so people who mm-hmm. claim they know about it are probably lying Okay, so I, I like the way you kind of made a bold statement, like it, it, in the honor of nature. That was nice. <laughs> uh, I didn't uh, say so, it. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, okay. Um, so uh, in his uh, critique of Socrates, um, you he says uh, like you know he he dis- he kind of uh, despises the idea of perceptual and perception and that we perceive reality differently from uh, individual to individual. so that can have a modern critique i think uh, so a lot of modern neuroscience say that you do in the end hallucinate uh, reality and there have been a lot of uh, studies about it like you literally every single brain interprets things in uh, different ways for example say a particular person might interpret shadows or colors or emotions very differently from another person uh, so that kind of knowledge was not accessible to nietzsche at that mm-hmm. time so he could not make those he could not fit that retrofit that knowledge in his time but today we do so you know we can expand on also, know, new i think new that ideas. i think he's not trying to say that uh, the that we don't we can't just perceive reality i don't think he's trying to uh, critique on that idea i think he's trying to say mm-hmm. that in doing so people often tend to falsify the real world uh, okay. people uh, the whole the whole uh, field of solipsism is that that i exist and others don't exist they are called philosophical zombies uh, say you mm-hmm. say i'm uh, conscious and other people i see them walking around they interacting with me so they are philosophical mm-hmm. zombies uh, they don't have a mind of their own or some believe that they might have a mind of their own but the idea mm-hmm. that only i exist and no one else exists it's it's quite a prevalent uh, field in in philosophy solipsism so i think he was uh, mm-hmm. also critiquing that at the same time that our perceptions mm-hmm. could uh, indicate at a say different reality but that does not fal- falsify our reality and uh, that's what he was against that saying our reality is false and uh, there exists another world outside somewhere which is the real world which we mm-hmm. need to aspire for mm-hmm. i think that's what he really meant about it yeah uh, so i think uh, uh, do you want to end it or do you have anything else to say uh this is one instance where uh nietzsche breaks down in the middle of a road that i really like to talk about the so okay. when he is and that that is the period where he uh, became uh, he started descending into uh, madness and that, that that was the rest that was the end of his sane life he mm-hmm. was quite uh, troubled after that period he could not think straight he could not uh, uh, live quite well and that incident is when he was uh, at the at he was going somewhere and he saw this horse being beaten or flogged by its master and uh, mm-hmm. it was being flogged because it could not carry on it could not 
it was exhausting it could not move on but the mouse was flogging it to still go ahead so nature ran towards mm-hmm. that uh, horse and it embraced it and hugged it and uh, it, some believe that he uttered the words i understand you and that's why that i really like that part of how uh, you know he he's relating to that horse and he he thinks he can't uh, he feels he's exhausted and he cannot go on but yet he has to and uh, this is a key theme picked up by many french existentialist way after his uh, uh, works were published like uh, say uh, jean paul sartre albert camus and uh, uh, there's this line by uh, this existentialist uh, samuel uh, beckett i think yeah it's i can't go on i'll go on mm-hmm. and it could even mm-hmm. it even led to uh, camus idea of the absurd uh, and the myth of sisyphus that mm-hmm. he is forced to do the same thing he is exhausted but yet he has to roll the mountain up the uh, hill only for it to fall again and do it again and again and again yeah. so it's a very beautiful thing yeah that that's yeah it it is it is it is very nice uh, i'll just uh, make uh, like a off hand thing so um we uh, we are having this uh, uh, we are kind of having this competition right now uh, uh, you know put up by the theory club it's called imp solis uh, and we are soliciting entries from you uh, we want poems essays short stories uh, things like that um if you if you go to our instagram page which is uh, the theory club you can find it there or more than likely you might have gotten a link forward because rpr team did a really good job of sending that link everywhere if you want if you if you have thoughts about this if you have thought about anything else which you might have been doing uh, you know sitting at home and during the lockdown uh, feel free to uh, elaborate feel free to uh, you know send your submissions there uh, we are looking forward to you know knowing what you think also uh, this stream uh, you will the, the, there'll be like uh, you can view the stream offline too once we end it so if you have any more questions uh, do put it in the comment section and uh, we'll address them as they come uh, if uh, mostly uh, the dummies guide uh, guide talk uh, the, the dummies guide talks uh, they happen in person uh, we, they usually happen in the wellness center uh, and um, our new core committee has been formed for the theory club this year and we are looking forward to you know uh bring in more ideas more different kind of uh kinds of talks and events and uh, you will see us around on campus uh we will we are trying to reach out more than last year this year so yeah that's about it uh, see you people around uh you know follow us uh, on here on youtube or maybe on instagram or uh, look out for our posters on campus uh, our team makes some makes some excellent posters anyway uh, can anything else you want to say uh not really thanks for everyone Uh, yeah. thanks to everyone who thank you for coming uh, yeah. coming and listening and staying the whole yeah. uh, while listening to us rant about certain stuff uh, yeah. it was a nice experience it's, it's been fun we look forward to doing more of these dummies guide uh, and uh, uh, if you all have any suggestions on thinkers or topics you would like to uh, yes. No, yes. put them in the comments apart from that yeah. thanks for listening all right thank you for giving us time bye bye people bye bye